Please do join me once again in taking out your Bibles and turning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As we turn to God's word, let's turn to him once again in prayer and ask for his help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, would you be pleased to speak to your gathered people through your word and by your spirit. May your word be our rule, may your spirit be our teacher, and may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We are here on the sixth week in our series, I Am Jesus in His Own Words. Have you ever heard someone make an amazing claim? I mean, a staggering claim. Not just about something, but about someone, in particular about himself or herself. Have you ever heard someone make just an utterly staggering claim about themselves? Earlier this year, I was on a trip or in the car somewhere listening to the radio and it was the, a news story and I heard these words that were spoken to a, to a crowd of, a, uh, of people, a cheering crowd of people. Words that were these, I am your voice. I am your warrior. I am your justice. I am your retribution. Now, when I heard that, my first thought was, man, that is hard to believe someone would say that. And then I turned and said, that is an incredibly arrogant thing to say. And then I landed on, that is a delusional thing to say. Who, who does this person think he is? And that wasn't a question so much as a statement. Well, here in the Gospel of John, we, we, we uh, see Jesus making some big claims, some amazing claims, some staggering claims, when he says seven times, I am. Indeed, unique to John are, are seven signs, uh, miracles that point to Jesus as the Messiah and seven statements of Jesus' own self-identification, who Jesus believes himself to be. Remember, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And when they answer, he turns and says, well, who do you say that I am? But here in John, Jesus doesn't so much ask the question as he makes the statement seven times, of who he is. You know, Jesus can't be captured really by one word, can he? He can't be captured by one image or, or one symbol. It's like a diamond, the facets on a diamond. You've got to turn the diamond to see the beauty of the diamond. And we're sort of, as it were, turning to see who Jesus is through his own statements. Individually, these statements and together, they paint a picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do and how someone should respond 
and relate to him. We've already seen Jesus declare himself to be the resurrection and the life. We are to believe in him and live. He is declared to be the bread of life. We are to feed on him and live. He is the light of the world. We're to follow it and live. He is the door of the sheep. We are to enter and live. And last week, he is the good shepherd. We're to come to him and follow by faith and live. And each of these statements of Jesus are really addressing problems that we all face, the problem of death. He's the resurrection and the life, the problem of our hunger. He is the bread of life, the problem of being in the darkness. He is the light of the world. Our problem at times of being in danger, he is the good shepherd. Now of the seven I am's, only one is immediately followed by a direct question. And that was our first one that we, we did uh, on the heels of Easter when we heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus turns around and asks a direct question, do you believe this? Well, today's I am is the only declaration that's immediately preceded by a direct question. Lord, We don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? Jesus is going to answer that question. You see, we all have a big problem. We're separated from God, our creator, by sin. And we don't, in and of ourselves, know how to remove that separation. We don't know how to get back to God. We don't know the way back. And yet, even if we do know the way, because God has revealed the way and shown us the way, even then, we're sometimes lost and sometimes confused on the journey. And when we're lost and confused, like I probably was a month ago, a week ago, a day ago, maybe even earlier today, in some way, shape, or form. When that happens, I think there's fear. You're afraid. You don't know what to do. You don't know if you're going to make it. And Jesus knows that we're afraid. And he's going to address that fear in today's text. If you remember, if you know your Bibles a bit, John 13 begins the upper room discourse. Jesus is meeting and eating with his disciples. It's hours before he is going to be uh, betrayed, hours before he's going to be denied, hours before he'll be abandoned. Jesus is speaking about his coming departure. He's trying to reassure his disciples of what's coming. So let's listen now to our text beginning in John 13, verse 36, through John 14, verse 11. Beginning in 1336, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, Why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now verse 6, in verse 6, Jesus makes a staggering claim. Staggering claim, I, I am what? The way and the truth and the life. Well, let's unpack this claim and explore first its content, then its constraint, and finally its comfort. So first, the content of the claim, the first half of verse 6. Jesus is asked a question and he's going to respond and and use this question as the opportunity to expand on things and to illuminate what he's already been saying. He is the way to God. I am. It's it's grounded in Jesus' divinity and expresses something of his saving action. I am the way. Now, if you just think about that, I am the way, you could fill in the blank, you could finish the sentence Take it out of context, many people can, can look to Jesus and said, ah, Jesus says, I'm the way to be happy. I, I'm the way to be successful. People then and people now use Jesus for their purposes. They see him as the way out, the way up, the way to get this, the way to get that. When Jesus says, I am the way, the way to God, it's it's not the way to live. He's not expressing this is the way to live, a model to live. Follow me, I, I can model it, I can be an example. He's not saying that here, but he's saying he's the way, he's the road, he's the route to heaven, he's the, the way to God, he's access to God. You see, we don't need so much a model where we can imitate and copy. We we don't need that because we can do that in our own strength for a time. What we need is somebody who can take us by the hand and get us there, to take us with them. 
So Jesus is talking about the destination, the end, but he's also talking about the journey, the process. And, 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 and Thomas is right. If, if we don't know where we're going, how, how do we know the way to get to where we're, we don't know where we're going? It's, it's the way Jesus is speaking about the way to a destination, a line. It starts with God. It ends with God. It's the creator and the consummator, the the, uh, the alpha, the beginning, and the omega, the end. And Jesus here, when he says he's the way, he's not just pointing to the Father, but he's rather um, providing access to the Father, as we heard in Hebrews 10, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, that the one new man, Jew and Gentile, together have access to God, the Father, through the blood of Jesus, the Son. So he's the way to God, and he's the truth of God. He's the truth because he's embodying the supreme revelation of God. He himself, as it were, narrates the person of God and the actions of God. Throughout John, there's this relationship between Father and Son that Jesus is speaking about And he says that he does only what the Father gives him to do and to say. At the very beginning of John, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John is saying that Jesus is God's gracious self-disclosure. It's the Word made flesh. He's the way to God, he's the truth of God, and he's the life that's given by God. You're moving in one sense from the mind of knowledge to the heart and experience. We heard earlier these claims that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the resurrection and the life. That he has come that we would have life and life more abundantly. It's that eternal life, that everlasting life, that abundant life. Earlier in John, you could read in chapter 5, verse 26, that Jesus is, is the life because the Father has granted the Son to have life in himself. A bit mysterious? Absolutely. Hard to understand? Yes, because it's the intersection of the divine and the human, of the infinite and the finite. Now, Jesus claims that he is the way to God because he is the truth of God and the life of God. That Jesus is the revealer of God and the life giver. And most scholars and commentators see that the way is the primary thing and that the truth and the life just help us grow in our understanding of what it means when Jesus says he is the way. Jesus, again, is the revealer of God and the life giver. And that's good news. Because you and I are ignorant. And before we are made alive in Christ by faith, we are all dead in sin. Yet what Jesus has just said, I am the way and the truth and the life. um, To many, that kind of a statement can sound arrogant, right? To to many, that's an arrogant statement. But to everyone who hears that, it sounds pretty exclusive. Well, you know what? It is exclusive. So let's explore that a bit. 
as we consider the constraint of the claim, the exclusiveness of the claim. Look at the uh, first part of verse 6. The use of the definite article, the way, the truth, the life. Uh, Kids, English grammar, really important. There's a difference between a and is it the or the? Anybody help me out? Is it the life or the life? I think it matters that it's T-H-E because I cannot, I'm not sure how to pronounce it right. But it's the definite article. It's an exclusive claim because Jesus is saying he's not one way of many. He's not a way, he's the way. He's not just one truth out there, he's, he's the truth. He's not just one of many options for life. He's the life. He's the only way. There's no other. He's saying that he's the one avenue of approach to God. Now, years ago when I was in the Navy, we'd had these exercises of how to get ships out of ports and ships into ports during wartime when, when, the mine, when there was a possibility that the harbor entrances would be mined. When ships hit mines, that's bad. So what would happen was the minesweepers would come and they would clear what was called a Q route, okay? It was a way through the minefield that had been cleared so ships could safely get out of the harbor and safely get in the harbor. And you had to know, and it was really one of the most closely guarded secrets, is the Q route, It was really important that ships followed the Q route in and out because if they just chose another way, not so good. We do this in life, don't we? That's just one small example. Jesus is saying, ah, this is what all of life is about. Not only is there the use of the definite article, there's the use of the categorical No one. Look at the second half of verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one joins the ranks of never, always, right? It shatters all attempts to find other ways to God and salvation. You know, a true atheist is hard to find, right? Most people believe in God. Most people believe in a God, a supreme being. What, what most, a lot of people are uncertain about, though, is Jesus. Is he God? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Those of you who know me know I like to listen to the radio in the car. I, I like to listen to the radio more than I like all the other means, and I've got one of those things you actually have to turn a dial, okay? It's kind of dangerous to be turning it while you're driving. But sometimes I land on 90.9, and I'll get classical music. Sometimes I'll land on 91.7, some news. Um, I like 103.5, and lately I've found 105.9, the oasis, where the music went. And for those of us that grew up in the 80s, It's good that we found 105.9 because that's where the music really did go. But you know what's amazing to me? Is when my little, my my fingers turn the dial and I'm on 
105.7. I can't get it. I, I, I do it a little further and I've, I'm on 106.1. I don't hear it. I have got to be exactly on 105.9 or 90.9 or 91.7 or what. By the way, why are they all odd? Like, somebody explain that afterwards. But the point is, you can't get the music unless you're exactly on that FM frequency modulate. You can't get it. You may want to hear it, you're not going to hear it. It's a really narrow thing, isn't it? It's really exclusive. If you want to hear that, you've got to get to that particular frequency. Now, we've talked a bit about this exclusivity, but you know, there is an inclusiveness out here also because you see the use of the relative pronoun whoever. In other words, there's an inclusive exclusivity um, if you look down to verse 9 and verse 12 and verse 24, 21 and 24, there's a whoever. And we've been talking about over the past few weeks the fact that Christianity is really exclusive. But Christianity is also very inclusive as well, right? Jesus, we saw in Luke, is come, comes to save all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. Whoever. But it's Jesus that saves. It's very exclusive. So Jesus' claim is very narrow and exclusive, but it's in the context of something rather broad and inclusive. Because whoever, if anyone... I think it's important just to remind ourselves given that salvation comes through Jesus, it's really, if you're a Christian, that you really you should have a hard time looking down on anyone, right? Why? Because you're saved by grace, not by the things that you do. You're saved by Jesus. He's the way. You're not the way. He's the truth. You're not the truth. He's the life. Not, you're not the life. It's an exclusive claim. It's a constraining claim. It's not a both and, but an either or. Um, those of you that have heard me say this a few times, that I'm going to write a book one day, uh, knowing the difference between the either or and the both and, why it's important. Sometimes in the Christian life we get confused. Certain things are either or, and some things are both and. And it's important to be able to distinguish. But Jesus, in making this exclusive claim, he is really saying that it's an either or. It's either me, and you'll have the way, you'll have the truth, and you'll have the life, or, or not. And interestingly, in the book Letter to a Christian Nation in 2006, the atheist, the new atheist, the British atheist Sam Harris is writing a book called Letter to a Christian Nation, specifically to America. And this is one thing he says. And he might be thinking about a passage like this. Either the Bible is just an ordinary book written by mortals, or it isn't. 
Either Christ was divine or he was not. If the Bible is an ordinary book and Christ an ordinary man, the basic doctrine of Christianity is false. If the Bible is an ordinary book and Christ an ordinary man, the history of Christian theology is the story of bookish men parsing a collective delusion. If the basic tenets of Christianity are true, then there are some very grim surprises in store for non-believers like myself. You understand this. At least half the American population understands this. So let us be honest with ourselves. In the fullness of time, one side is really going to win this argument, and the other side is really going to lose. That's an atheist, a non-believer who gets it. Either the claims of Jesus are true, or they're not. So we've seen uh, the content of the claim as well as this constraining nature of the claim. Well, let's step back and once again looking, look at the overall context. And the overall context here is one of comfort, the comfort of the claim. There's comfort because future hope becomes present reality. Future hope becomes present reality. Jesus is saying, I am the way to the Father's house. That's in the future. It it awaits you. I am the way to know the Father. And you can know Him now, the present. You see, the Christian life is the already and the not yet. It's both a future hope and it's a present reality. So it's comfort because future hope becomes present reality, but it's also comfort because the promise brings intimacy with God. Well, where do you see the promise? Look at the end of verse 6 again. No one comes to the Father except through me. The promise implied is some come to the Father through me. They really do. They, they come to the Father through me. The promise brings intimacy with the Father. Jesus says, believe in God, believe in me. And Jesus is, is revealing to his closest followers and the crowds then. He's revealing that God is not a boss but that God is a father. He's moving people away from fear and toward confidence and assurance. You see, other world religions, that supreme figure is an impersonal supreme power. Look at Hinduism. Look at Islam. It's not personal. There's power. But Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus that provides access to the Father. In Knowing God, J.I. Packer, the late British pastor and theologian, 
wrote this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And then listen to how Packer sums it up. Father is the Christian name for God. And what has Jesus been doing? He's revealing the Father. When the disciples say, teach us to pray, what does Jesus say? When you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Father is the Christian name for God. And Jesus, the Son, is revealing the Father. So it's comfort because future hope becomes present reality. It's a comfort because this promise brings an intimacy with God, he's no longer the boss, although there's aspects of him still being the boss, but not just the boss only, but he's the father. And there's comfort finally, because it's about home, a large home, a safe home, an open home. It's not, it's not just about a house with many rooms, which gives the understanding that there is room for you and there is room for me it's not just a house but it's a it's a home going home coming home and in that home what is there there's a dining room table right it's not just nutritious food at home but it's comfort food right I didn't know when I was growing up, I had no language to express it, but every day my mom served comfort food. I didn't know it. And now there are restaurants that speak of, yeah, we will provide comfort food for you. No, no. Comfort food is at the dining room table at home. A child's first home is his father's house, right? You're born in the hospital, you come home. You're born somewhere, you come home. A Christian, an adopted child of God, their last house, their last home, their final home is with God in his house, in his home. It shouldn't be surprising, but this claim, this content, the, the claims content, and the claims constraint, and the claims comfort remind us that it really is all about Jesus, right? And Jesus is not just this teacher and example only, but he's God himself, right? C.S. Lewis addresses that in Mirror Christianity. Jesus is either a liar or he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Lewis is saying that Jesus is either bad, or he's mad, or he is who he claims to be. He's God. Jesus is not asking here to be liked. Jesus is not wanting to be a Facebook friend, or a follow here, or a follow there. He's saying... I am who I am. I'm, 
I'm revealing the Father. I am the Word in the flesh. Jesus is saying that God is not far and distant, but near and intimate. He is with you. Years ago, I was in a conversation with um, a man who I would consider to be one of the world's foremost theologians, and I just heard it the other day from someone else, and it's this question, what is God like? It's a great question, right? What is God like? Who is God like? And you know what the answer is? God is like Jesus. He's, that, that's a simple statement. It's a staggering statement. If you see me, you see the Father. Jesus is God himself. Jesus is God who comes near and you can enter into an intimate relationship and Jesus is that only mediator, that only hope, that only savior. Remember, Mary and Joseph were told to name him Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. Paul writes to Timothy and says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, the one who had denied Jesus ended up saying this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They're getting the definite article. They're getting the exclusivity of the claim, but it's going out to a very wide audience. Whoever. Now, unlike those wild claims that I heard a man make before a cheering crowd, Jesus made this claim in an intimate gathering before his closest friends. He made it during a meal, a meal just hours before his betrayal, just hours before his denial, just hours before his abandonment, just hours before his suffering, his death. Look back with me to chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My friends, the only way you and I will not be troubled in this world of sin and suffering and trials and temptations and difficulty, the only way that we really won't be troubled is to know that Jesus was troubled for us in our place and on our behalf. You see, Jesus was troubled to the point of death. He was troubled to the point of separation from the goodness of the fellowship he had from all eternity with his Father. He was troubled 
to that degree so that you and I would have no fear ever of losing that kind of fellowship with God our Father. In just a few moments, those who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, who have professed faith in Jesus, will be invited to the table. And because it is not a Presbyterian table, it is not grace and peace's table, it's the Lord's table. He invites those who are trusting in Him. And you know what He provides? He provides the comfort food that you and I need to keep walking by faith and not by sight as we follow Jesus, as we walk with Him all the way home. My friends, Jesus' claim that He is the way and the truth and the life is really good news. Do you believe him? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would be pleased to drive your word into the deep recesses of our heart and we pray that it would in many ways explode and it would help us Be honest with ourselves, both that we are far worse than we realize, but also that we are far more loved and accepted than we could ever imagine through the kindness of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.